Welcome to the 26th, the official podcast of the Mecklenburg County Bar. As an MCB member, we know you deserve every possible benefit for your dollar. Our focus is to provide exclusive insight and resources ranging from business development to member spotlights and everything in between. You serve the public. Now let us serve you right here on the 26th. Welcome back to another episode of the 26th, an MCB podcast. I'm Robert Ingalls, and I'll be your host. Now, if this is your first time joining us, this podcast is intended to serve as another tool among the multitude of resources afforded to Mecklenburg County Bar members. We're splitting the podcast into seasons, with each season highlighting a different topic based on requests from MCB members. This first season is all about business development and features attorneys from all walks of practice, from large firms to solo shops, sharing their unique stories of building practices. We're going to hear what worked and what didn't and where they see the future of business development going. After you finish with this episode, just click that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player and you'll get notified when new episodes are available. Our guest on this episode is attorney Sarah Lincoln of Lincoln Durr. Let's jump into it. So tell me about your early career. Did you know you were going to law school from a young age? Like, how did you become a lawyer? Tell me about that. I did not know that I was going to be a lawyer. I actually went to college and majored in psychology and thought that I would be a therapist after graduating from college. But in college, had a professor that taught a one-half credit law class each semester He was the head of the poli-sci department and also a lawyer in Providence, Rhode Island. And I signed up to take some of his classes just to get a little bit of cushion on my credit hours. And I took my first exam with him. I think it was torts was the first class that I took with him. And I got an A on the exam, and he told me that if I could get an A from him, I could get an A at any law school in the country, and I needed to go to law school. And... I never looked back after that. I lo- I've loved it ever since. Wow. So you just took a class almost as an elective and it changed the trajectory of your life. Completely. Yes. Nice. And I've written him thank you notes repeatedly until he passed a couple of years ago. Mm. So when you went to law school, did you have anything in mind as far as what you wanted to practice? I've always been a people person. So I assumed going in that what I would do would be in the courtroom arena or in the litigation arena. Sitting and drafting is really not my thing. Yeah. I have a husband that does that, and God bless him. I I can't do it. (laughs) Like, early in your career, what did that look like? What was that first job out of law school? Because this podcast, uh, we're we're really digging into business development, and I'm interested in hearing the stories of where lawyers first discovered business development. Because every lawyer I talk to says, well, they certainly didn't teach it to me in school. And so most people learned it. In, in practice, learned it the hard way. And so what did that look like for you? So I graduated from law school in 1996. Um, it was the economic downturn before the 2008 downturn. The firms were laying off partners. They were laying off or not hiring summer associates at that time. And I started my own firm in that environment. I had I had to put myself through school. So I worked 
all the way through law school, and I think I can say now without getting into trouble that I violated the ABA rules on limiting yourself to 20 hours of work a week outside <laughs> of law school. And I, and I had to because I had to pay all my living expenses on top of the loans that I took out to pay for my tuition. So I worked with a group of lawyers who were all essentially solo practitioners but sharing office space in Akron, Ohio, where I went to law school. And after I graduated law school, they agreed to let me stay on and essentially start my own solo practice within their space and agreed that for the first year they would not charge me rent and I took whatever they were willing to hand to me and I hustled and that you know I have to survive I have to be able to pay my bills and frankly some of the best lawyers we have are the ones that feel that way and they're the best at client development because they've never had anything handed to them right yeah we we talked about that on the last episode of just kind of not being too good to do anything uh, yeah. especially in the beginning. It's just if, if there's something out there and you don't know how to do it, go figure it out. Take whatever referral somebody sends you. If somebody will let you sit in the room for free and just listen, like do those things. I still do that today. I will say for women, that's very hard to do. So women are less likely to pick up an area of practice that they're not comfortable with. Whereas men would step in and be like, I got 60% of this. I think I can, I can figure the rest of it out. Right. But if we know 90% of it, we're worried about that last 10%. And so we are less likely to take a risk on something than our male colleagues are willing to do. I've gotten over that. uh, But a lot of female lawyers have not. So in the beginning, when you were scrapping, like where did those early leads come from? Like, what were you doing to generate leads and drum up business? I worked for all five of the lawyers in the space that we had in Akron, Ohio. And I would, if I ran out of things to do and they had a stack of things on their desk, I would say, can I take any of that from you? Can I uh, just handle it or get it started for you? Because they would pay me by the hour to do their research and writing and they would hand me some clients directly. Mm -hmm. I got involved with the bar very early on. I had a mentor in Akron that I worked with while I was in law school and I continued to meet with him after law school and he would even refer some cases to me. In litigation, the majority of the work that you're going to get in the long term, and I think really even when you're young, is referral work. It's not going to be from cold call clients unless you're doing plaintiff's personal injury work and you're really doing a lot of heavy advertising that's where the cold calls come in but if you're doing non-plaintiff side you know defense side personal injury litigation business litigation the majority of that is going to come to you if it's a new client on referral so developing the relationships with other lawyers in the community being involved in the bar doing podcasts, being videotaped <laughs> for the Mecklenburg Bar website, all of those things just keeps you front and center uh, for other people so that, you know, primacy and recency is a real thing. And sure. if they're seeing you and hearing your name repeatedly and they know what you do and they've heard of you or they've heard a judge talk about you, then you're more than likely to be at the top of the list of people that they're going to call to refer the case to. But then you really have to bust ass because they're not going to call you if they haven't heard good things about what your work is. Sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big part of business development really is just show up, show up, like be in, in all the places at all the time if you can. Or, and uh, that's one, it's kind of a theme that we've heard from the previous guest as well is like you have to be out in the community. You have to be talking to people. You have to be networking with people who could potentially be referral sources. 
one of one of the best bits of advice I'd heard was like, don't network a lot with the people who do exactly what you do. Because if they're going to, you know, they might send you cases, but odds are if they're sending you cases, probably a case, um, they might be conflicted out, but it otherwise might be a case they just don't want. Yeah, it's the bad one. Right. It's the bad client. It's the client that doesn't pay or it's the case that sucks and they're yelling at you all the time. Right. So if, you know, if you're doing family, spend time with criminal defense attorneys or spend time with uh, personal injury attorneys, like people who are going to run into clients who might have an issue that they don't handle and they can then you become their go-to person. Which is why involvement in the bar is important because when you get involved in the bar and it can be your local bar, it can be the state bar, you're going to meet people from all different walks of the practice who then broaden the scope of people you know in North Carolina who can refer work to you. Right. So were you involved or exposed to in any way in the marketing efforts of that early firm that you worked with? Like, did you pick up any of that? That early firm wasn't really a firm, so they didn't really do marketing. I mean, they were all guys who had been in the community forever, so they had already developed a constant flow of referrals Uh. into the office, and so they didn't have to do a lot of marketing back then. And back then it was different. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have personal computers. We hand wrote briefs on yellow sheets of paper and handed them to a legal assistant to type. That's how old I am. (laughs) I think that 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 may have kept me from going to law school if I still had to handwrite everything. Oh yeah. It was rough. Uh, It's amazing. I mean, I tell my daughters all the time, you are never going to see a phone attached to the wall. Or a fax machine that came in with the heat-activated paper that you would put into the file folders, which you kept because everything was paper. Sure. But uh, within a year, that heat-activated paper had faded and you could no longer read what was on it. So I'm not really sure why we were saving it anyway. It's fantastic. It reminds me of the receipts like for tax season. You pull out the receipts and like so much of the papers faded on them. Yeah. Like, what was here? Exactly. I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> I should have kept that spreadsheet. Get the QuickBooks app. So coming out of that background, fast forward, you hung your own shingle. What was that transition like of having to go out and then be the generator of the leads? The lawyers I was working with were good lawyers. So they had a constant flow of some amount of work that was enough to keep me busy. And I was only there for three years before we relocated here to North Carolina. So I did a little bit of court-appointed criminal work when we were in Ohio that kind of filled that other gap that I needed to to make enough money to at least make my loan payments. Fortunately, I was married to somebody who was much more successful directly out of school and had graduated a couple of years before me, before the economic downturn, and so he had a very good job. So we weren't starving. But uh, I was definitely trying to make as much as I could to help cover those loan payments, at least initially. And then we moved here, and I was with a medium-sized insurance defense firm for about another three years. And again, back then, people didn't do marketing like they do today. It just didn't exist. It was a big deal down here, and people found it very offensive when I first got here that people would advertise in the yellow pages the, the older uh, partners in our law firm hated that and found it really to be unethical. And now it's completely different. You know, you're on Twitter, you're on um, Instagram, you've got your Facebook page, your LinkedIn page, people's faces are on the sides of buses, and there are no yellow pages anymore. Right. And, and if you weren't doing that stuff, it's, it's, it's like you're trying to drive your business into the ground. 
Like if you're not out there, it's like not having a storefront if you don't have some kind of presence online. I'm always shocked if I get a new case in and I Google the lawyer, which the first thing I always do is Google the lawyer on the other side to try and find out what I'm up against. And they aren't, you can't find them online. It tells me a lot about them. Yeah. Just that. I had a professor, my business law professor in undergrad, and he told us that any lawyer worth his salt would not be caught dead on a billboard or, and he's like, really, you don't need to advertise. He's like, if you're a good lawyer, then you should be getting plenty of business. And this was, this was probably 04. Wow. That he was still holding to that. I'm trying to remember when we really got uh, regular internet access and PCs. It was after I moved down here, which would have been, oh gosh, I think I said earlier I graduated law school in 96. That's a lie. I graduated in 93. Mm. We moved here in 96. And I remember being out on maternity leave with my first child and I had to do the dial-up internet. Mm-hmm. And that was the early stages, and that was 98. You're going to wake the baby up with that. I know. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> so, I mean, this marketing thing, the way that it's being done today is really new for everybody. It, it's new for the senior partners and firms. It's new for the young people because every day they're coming up with something different that you can put your stamp on. And I do think that being a good lawyer first, particularly for the young lawyers, you're not going to go out as a first or second year lawyer if you're in a big firm or in an insurance defense firm and immediately get people to send you work. You haven't established that you can even practice law yet at one year out. So focus on doing your client development within the organizations that you're in. Do it within your firm. Do it within your family, do it within your church, do it within whatever organizations you're involved in, the bar, whatever, and then worry about doing the big marketing. Because if you put your face out there, but nobody's ever heard of you, it doesn't matter. You're just kind of throwing money out there. Correct. And it's expensive. Some of these advertising campaigns that lawyers are buying are super expensive. And now that we're on our own and have been open for 10 years, Now I know what all that stuff costs, and it's a lot. Yeah. So when you made that transition to being in a firm to actually running the firm, what what did that look like? Because that had to it had to really change the way that you viewed the practice of law, being the person who is in charge of generating the leads, in charge of at the end of the day ensuring that the marketing is effective. We were very fortunate when we started Lincoln Durr that we had a number of clients already, and that made the transition very easy because those clients came with us when we opened the door. If you, if, if we had had to start from scratch, it would have been a much more challenging process. So Trish and I both had already developed our reputations in the bar. She was at the time, either the president elect or the immediate past president. I can't remember which of the Mecklenburg County bar and was very well-known locally and got referred a lot of work even when we were at Womble. So we were very, very, very lucky that we already had that in place. And when we came out, we were actually able to take more referrals than we could where we came from (laughs) Uh, because we had more flexibility over our rate structure. Mm -hmm. We had more flexibility over the types of cases that we took. And we pretty much could do whatever we wanted to do. And that's what we did initially to expand our client base, to expand our practice. We 
practice door law to some extent is what Trisha always calls it. Whatever comes in the door, we did. I've been there. And that's, and that's how we kept it rolling. And it just went from there. And there were some other changes in the law and that kind of thing that really impacted the growth of the firm at the right time. Mm-hmm. So was that around 2010? 2010 when tort reform went into effect in North Carolina, the plaintiff's bar dumped about a year's worth of litigation into the civil justice system relating to medical malpractice cases in a matter of about three weeks. They filed every case they had in their office so that those cases would not be subject to the cap under tort reform. And so all of a sudden, we were in need of a lot of help very quickly. And that's how the firm really kind of took off and grew. And then those people stayed with us and established great relationships with our existing clients. And we're getting work from those clients directly as well. Yeah. And I mean, at that time, internet marketing was still in its relative infancy. Like, were you tapping into any of that doing, you know, pay-per-click or uh, social media? We really were not and didn't need to, at least back then, particularly with the whole tort reform thing. We were so slammed with work within a year of starting our practice that we didn't have time to go out and get more work nor would we have been able to handle any more work. Sure. And that was true until about 2014. So how did your tactics change at that point? Well, at that point, we had started doing more online. I mean, we knew when we came out, we had a website. You know, we have always had a website. We always posted things on the website. Trish did a lot of writing for the Mecklenburg County Bar. Her articles were always on the website. Those sorts of things we did. But even then... Twitter, LinkedIn didn't, yeah, it was there, but people really weren't using it very effectively. It's more of a recent phenomenon that is actually being, you know, the power of it's really being harnessed. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, in the last few years, we actually have hired a marketing director and she handles the vast majority of our marketing and making sure that our names stay present and relevant. She also helps us with our referral Base. If we get referred a case, we have to put that into our conflict check system. That referral person always gets a handwritten thank you note from us, thanking them for that referral. And then depending on the case, they may even get a bottle of wine or <laughs> something else to go along with that handwritten note. It just depends. Yeah, the handwritten note's a, a nice touch. That's, uh, that's something I try to remember to do as much as I can because you just don't get them. And I tell young lawyers that send a handwritten note. Like Someone's going to remember that because that's kind of a dying art form. Yeah, don't just send an email. Stand up, leave your desk, go and actually have a conversation with somebody. That helps a lot in marketing as well. Just sending emails is never going to get you work. It's all about establishing relationships. And if you don't have relationships with people, they're not going to send you work. Right, make friends with people that are then going to become good referral partners. Yeah, I mean, even when I was young, you would meet people in the community and think, wow, you know, Maybe I, maybe they could send me work, but that might take five years to develop that relationship with that person. And hopefully you're developing the relationship because there's somebody that you enjoy spending time with. Yeah. And if and you don't, five years is a long time of putting up with them. That's right. The side benefit is, is that they can send you work. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah, but it's important. It's what you need to do. Right. We'll be right back after this short break. Hi, I'm Greg Hicks, and I'm the Director of Digital Media here at the Mecklenburg County Bar. One of my passions is photography, and last year we thought it'd be a great idea to share that passion with bar members. So that's why all MCB members are eligible to receive professional headshots for you and your support staff as part of your membership. 
All it takes is a quick email to me at ghicks at mechbar.org and we'll set up an appointment here at the Bar Center or I'll come out to your firm if you have the space. So head to mechbar.org benefits to see all that the MCB has to offer. Thanks again for listening to The 26th and I hope to hear from you soon. So in, in the firm, do you have any type of business development training for, for new employees, any type of systems that you put them through? So for any lawyers that are actively pursuing new business who want coaching, we have hired coaches for those lawyers to make sure that they are fully supported by a business development specialist. I'm not a business development specialist. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm good at what I do. And I've been very fortunate that the work keeps coming to me. But I haven't had to do the types of business development that the younger lawyers who don't have the relationships, maybe they're new to Charlotte, so they don't have that community here yet. They, uh, they need a little bit more help in how to put that plan together and to work that plan. Sure. And that's excellent. That's the, you're the first lawyer I've talked to who said they're using business development coaches for their associates. I think that, I think more firms could really benefit from that because it's, I mean, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast on business development is because when we asked the community, that's one of the biggest pain points that we heard was that people are struggling with generating business, especially people who are, you know, young and haven't really built a book at all yet. That, that would be a perk for me. If I was considering like among job offers, like you have business development coaches, that's a huge perk because that's something I'm going to take with me the rest of my career. That's why we only give it to people who really want it because it's really expensive. I sure. mean, it's a huge investment for us. So if we're going to make that investment and in you as a young lawyer, you better turn that around and work that plan and make the best out of the training that you've gotten. Right. And to, for us, it's worked. You know, we have the added benefit of being able to advertise that we're a minority and women-owned law firm. And that brings in work because of the pushes within a lot of the companies today that they need to hire law firms that are diverse. Right. And we get that. Um, we have had a meeting with a client last week who said, how can you ensure that whoever's going to work on our matters, that we're going to have a diverse t- team. And we looked around the table and we were like, you don't have another choice. Like, yeah. that's it. This is all you get. You get women and minorities. We have two men who work with us, both of whom are Caucasian, who we love, but they never work on anything together. They always work with some other lawyer in the firm. So no matter what, you're always going to have a category of person who is considered diverse for those diversity initiatives within our clients. One of the things I like to ask people before I let them get out of here is technology. I'm a big technology fan. In the last podcast, there was a lot of cool technology that that firm was using. What kind of technology are you using for business development or just general management of the firm? We love technology. Uh, Trisha Durr, I think, is the most heavily customered person at the Apple Store. She could live there. I think they'd give her a spot to just hang out in anytime she walks in the door because she really, really embraces technology. And we do. We're a Mac-based firm, which is extremely unusual. And just that alone, when you walk into a deposition or you walk into a hearing or you walk into a meeting with a new client and you whip out an Apple product, they go, what? This person what? knows what they're doing. Wait a minute. You're Apple-based? Like, that's very unusual for law firms. It's very, very progressive of you. Yes, thank you. Uh, we give all of our lawyers a budget for technology annually that they can spend. I'm not going to give you the dollar amount, but they can spend a lot of money uh, annually to improve their technology base. And that's either by buying hardware or apps to put on our Apple devices a lot of us have purchased um, the iPad Pros, and we use that 
both for note taking. We don't take pads of paper with us anymore to depositions or hearings or trials. All of our note taking is done on our iPad Pros. And again, that's something that when you walk into a meeting with a new client, if they go, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. What is that? I need to get me one of those. That's going to help them remember you and think about you as the person that they want to use as their lawyer. So doing things like that, I think, is really important. The iPad Pro is great because we can run trial director off of that. We can do our PowerPoint presentations off of that, just holding on to your iPad in the courtroom and advancing your slides without having to use a clicker or anything. It's really super cool. And we do love it. And we love being the ones in the courtroom that can do it. And when the other side is struggling with their technology, it makes us very happy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that was when I was uh, running my own firm, that was very important to me as well. Like I didn't have paper agreements, like everything got signed on the iPad. And then, you know, the moment you signed it, then it got emailed right to you. And everything, I tried to be as paperless as I could. Um, A, because it looks good, but B, it's, it's easier. It's easier to keep up with everything. It's easier to keep everything in one place. When you're searching for a file, you can find it immediately. And if you're at the beach and you get a call and somebody's in an emergency and they need this brief or whatever, it takes you three seconds to send it to them. Yeah, uh, it's it's astonishing to me the number of lawyers who are adverse to being paperless or being in the cloud or embracing those forms of technology. It really frees you up and... The hardest part that we have dealing with that now is we have this huge office space, which is beautiful, but our people can work from anywhere. They don't really necessarily need to be there all the time. And so I start start worrying about, oh my gosh, we're paying all this rent and (laughs) my people don't really even need to be here. Uh, We still need the office, so we'll, we'll keep the office, but... We do. We have been paperless since we started, which back 10 years ago was absolutely unheard of. The amount of money that we have saved as a firm, not buying Redwells, not buying paper, not buying pads of paper, pens, those sorts of things has been unbelievable. And the amount of money that we've saved our clients by using secure links to send documents instead of putting things in the mail and sending them FedEx, which is very expensive. Uh, we really stood out back then. More firms are getting there today than than were there 10 years ago. So we're going to have to find something else now to set us apart from the, from the crowd. But it's really, to me, the technology can really impact not only your ability to practice, but how people view you in your practice. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I do a little consulting for, for lawyers looking to try to be a little more paperless. And I was in a, uh, in a client's office the other day, and I was only in there for a few minutes just chatting. And I counted, I think, 37 legal pads that were, like, opened and, like, you know, how they're kind of torn back, just stacked up all over the room among other papers. And I, I asked him, I'm like, if you need it, like, how do you find He's like, I know where things are. Like, but how much time are you wasting? trying to find that thing each single time because each, each of these is attached to various cases. And so we're working on that. The only thing that was is more astonishing to me are the lawyers who hold the, the yellow legal pad in front of a jury and flip the pages as they're doing their opening or closing. Don't do that. It's not Don't a good that. look. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. I think this was very helpful. If somebody is trying to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, they can find us. LincolnDur.com has all of our contact information on our website. And any, anywhere on social media we can find you? Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. 
all the places we talked about. And then when you call us, when you find our main number at Lincoln Durr, you can ask for our marketing person, Dory Cazorla, and I'm sure that she can fill out that list for you, but I don't know. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The 26th. Head to mechbar.org to hear more from this podcast, suggest future topics, and review member resources.